Section 14 of Royal Romances of Today. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Royal Romances of Today by Kellogg Dorland. Part 2, Chapter 2 Courtship and a Journey to the Northland. From the hour of their first meeting, Princess Alex never doubted the love of her young Russian Sahim, whose still boy's heart she knew she had reached. Child as she was, Princess Alex already felt germinating within her beginnings of woman love, and from that time through all the following girlhood days, through her period of lovely maidenhood, she held in close memory the picture of her first wooer. That her young lover was less faithful was not so much a matter of surprise, because first of all being a man and especially a russian man not to include a prince besides nicholas naturally went the way of all the rest the way of so many men of most russians and of all princes and under the tutelage of his relatives the grand dukes and in other unavoidable corrupt associates of the court he sowed his wild oats as part of the day's work and as a matter of course sowed them furiously and very very wildly Nicholas's mother, spouse of the Emperor Alexander the Third, herself early suggested that a mistress for the young Nicholas might be well as a choice of evils, the lesser one. Thereupon Nicholas was taken to the Imperial Ballet, there to make his choice of a temporary love. The woman whom he chose at that time lives today in St. Petersburg, in a grand palace given her by the little man who now rules the mighty empire of Russia built by money exacted from thousands of starving peasants throughout the length and breadth of the vast empire perhaps for a time nicholas forgot the little german girl but she never forgot her prince perhaps nicholas was lacking in that blessed quality we call loyalty or it may be that he was only weak of character as most of his friends of the time would have us believe at all events he was not even true to his polish dancer and when he became infatuated with a jewess his imperial father cried enough and sent his son on a tour around the world nicholas was accompanied on this trip by another bon vivant his cousin prince george of greece prince george however was also an athlete and a man of ready wit and when in japan a fanatic rushed upon the tsarevich to kill him prince george raised his arm and succeeded in so diverting the stroke that nicholas received only a glancing blow on the forehead thus was he spared to return to darmstadt and renew his suit for his love of earlier days royal marriages are so rarely love matches that the world watches the few that are with admiration and hope too often diplomatic objections prevent the coming together of royal lovers and so in the case of nicholas his father desired the union of his son with a montenegrin princess Queen Victoria never really opposed the match, but she feared for the safety of her granddaughter. The Russian throne is supposed to offer unparalleled peril to its occupants, and the health of the Princess Alex had never been rugged. Queen Victoria feared that under the great stress and strain of St. Petersburg, Princess Alex would not have the strength to bear up. The Empress Frederick of Germany, an aunt of Princess Alex, was also doubtful of the wisdom of the match. Her reasons, however, were somewhat different. Empress Frederick had 
had many opportunities to watch the development of her sister's daughter and she had noticed perchance with pain certain qualities of temperament which may have been the result of her trying circumstances in early years together with the fact that she had been left so much alone through the early death of her mother she was reserved and shy therefore seeming cold of nature and haughty of manner having seen far less of the great world than most royal princesses she shrank from the social world the loneliness of her childhood had taught her to find resource within herself thus habits of reading study and contemplation had become part of her nature these characteristics all make for the development of a splendid substantial woman but they fail to bring out the qualities essential to a woman who is to preside over a brilliant court where the sway of personality of grace charm and wit all the surface virtues count for as much if not more than the deeper qualities of sound character and a disciplined mind appreciating all this empress frederick did not encourage even if she refrained from actively opposing the marriage the polish princess catherine radzitzwell chanced to be passing through germany about this time and lingered for a few days the guest of the empress frederick one afternoon princess radzitzwell referred to the betrothal and remarked on the happy fate which had led nicholas to select a bride who had been imbued with the ideas of germany and england to her surprise the empress gravely shook her head and remarked that it was not always safe to trust what was said by people ignorant of the true character of those they praised or blamed according to the exigencies of the moment when princess raditzville pressed the empress further she added that princess alex had a haughty disposition and would be inclined to take more seriously than might be supposed her position of absolute sovereign she went so far as to refer to the despotic temperament of her niece and her self-opinion tendencies she is far too much convinced of her own perfection said the empress and she will never listen to other people's advice besides she has no tact and perhaps without knowing it will manage to wound the feelings of the persons she ought to try and conciliate princess raditzwill remarked that it was passing strange a daughter of princess alice and a granddaughter of queen victoria could have such a disposition whereupon the empress returned sadly oh but when do you see daughters taking after their mothers then after a short pause she continued it would not be possible for anyone to be like my sister but alex loved nicholas and she would be daunted by neither the perils of a restless empire nor the fear of physical weakness or suffering nor the discouragements of her royal relatives and nicholas with that stubbornness that has ever characterized him set about to win over all opponents to their marriage first he appealed to his uncle grand duke sergey who had married alex's sister elizabeth then he went to london and pleaded with queen victoria finally he gained the consent of his own father who was the last to yield then nicholas himself went to darmstadt to carry the news in person to his princess who had now waited for this message for nine long years there still remained one important obstacle and that this was a difficulty to the german princess is to her everlasting credit according to the laws of russia the throne may never be occupied or shared by anyone not of the greek catholic faith 
now princess alex being born in germany and brought up in germany was a protestant from earliest childhood she had been devoted to the church and to her religion and the tenets of the greek church were totally unfamiliar to her when they were presented to her there were many things that seemed so strange that for a long time she could not acknowledge her acceptance of them in most royal marriages the brides changed their faith as lightly as they changed their gowns and learned the priest taught formulas that their tutors prescribed and subscribed to the doctrines of their adopted church without fear or question alex demanded intimate knowledge of all the doctrines she must accept so learned theologians and doctrinaires were dispatched to domstead to give her instruction many are the stories told of her long arguments with these learned men over points that were not clear to her and of her deep prying questions into the reasons for certain regulations and laws at one time it seemed as if she could not accept certain things that these holy men were endeavouring to press upon her and more than one rumour went abroad that the royal marriage would never take place simply because of these religious difficulties there seemed some ground for these reports for the priest who had been her especial instructor one yanishev at one point became so despairing of his heretical charge that he left darmstadt altogether and returned to russia a long letter from the princess was received by nicholas and he instead of being hurt by the way she held out on these matters expressed himself as highly pleased a vigorous correspondence then passed quickly between them and in the end it was her love that conquered i do not think that princess alex has ever been what the world calls an ambitious woman no one believes that the greek priests converted her but she loved Nicholas with a love that transcended all creeds and dogmas, and finally, after long hesitation, her love rose to the highest point, and for his sake she accepted the state church of the land that was to be her future home. At the time the betrothal was definitely announced, it was anticipated that Alexander would probably continue to reign for some years, and that in the meantime the bride of the heir apparent would have ample time to accustom herself to russia and to school herself for the difficult role of empress which she would one day have to assume the russian press was flooded with stories and anecdotes of the beauty the cleverness and the varied accomplishments of the german princess whom nicholas was bringing to russia this was to popularize her among the people it was said that she was a rare musician a great scholar and even that she had taken the degree of doctor of philosophy at some university flaming lithographs of her were circulated by the thousand among the peasants and in the space of a few months her name had become a household word across the empire and the russian people were prepared to accept her as a worthy consort to the heir apparent the betrothal was announced in april in september of the same year czar alexander's health began to fail rapidly and he was removed from the cold of the northern capital to the royal estate of Livatia in the Crimea. I have seen royal palaces and parks in every part of the world, but I have never seen a more beautiful place than Livatia. It is on the slope of the Crimean Alps, some of whose peaks tower more than 3,000 feet above the glorious blue waters of the Black Sea that here lap the shores of Livatia yalta lovely yalta winter jewel daintily set in a wondrous setting of sea and hills 
is removed from Livatia by only a spur of mountains easily and quickly crossed, and here, when all the rest of Russia lies frozen beneath semi-arctic snows, roses and oleanders bloom, and ripe fruit hangs luscious for the pickers. Here winter suns are warm and winter evenings balmy. I think the fairest nights I have ever seen have been in Yalta and on the road to Livatia, when a December moon shone brightly over the restless water and aslant the lovely hills as in dream nights of June. To this most beauteous spot in all Russia, Alexander III was taken, was the monarch's last journey. When it became evident that the end was near, Nicholas sent for his bride-to-be. Probably no woman or man in modern times has had so warm a welcome prepared. The press of Europe was echoing and re-echoing the praise of the young princess, in happy attune with the inspired press of Russia. The Emperor William himself went to meet the princess at the Berlin Railroad Station and bid her Godspeed, she who was to wear an imperial crown. Warsaw was the first Russian city where Princess Alex paused on her journey to Livadia, whither she was hastening in the expectancy of marrying prior to the death of Alexander III. At Warsaw she was met by her sister, the Grand Duchess Elizabeth, and farther along the journey by the heir apparent. Her progress across the empire was like a triumphal march, despite the sadness that hovered over a nation whose ruler lay dying great arches of welcome were raised to her, and the populace turned out all along the way to do her honor. We can well imagine the mingled feelings of surprise and awe which must have overwhelmed the retiring and somewhat austere German princess, as she came in contact now for the first time with the great world, and with the homage of a vast people which from that day was to be hers for all the rest of the days of her life princes and potentates like peasants from the isolated villages of the steppes bent their knees in humble obeisance while soldiers stood at salute as she passed she knew full well that she was leaving behind her forever the simple life she had always known up until now she knew that she was going to a deathbed scene between ranks of gold and silver though her path was scattered with flowers and the plaudits of the people continuously rang in her ears she knew what the end of the journey must be, and she must have known, too, in a dim, tragic way, all that lay beyond the endraped gold toward which she was speeding in the Crimea. End of section 14